Hola mi gente. What up my people? My name is Pastor Rich Colon. I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, broadcasting to you live from Southwest Detroit, Michigan. Wherever you're listening from, I'm glad that you are listening. This podcast is meant to do one of two things, and that is either bring you our message content or it's content that we thought would enrich our message content. We'll have more information at the end of this episode on how you can get connected with us either in person, online, or on social media. But for now, thanks for listening to this podcast. Gracias para escuchando este podcast. And let's get into it. Vamos. I wanted to start off talking about my kids. So I have three kids, if you didn't know this, um, and they're great. My oldest is Olivia, she's 10. Camila is three, or no, not yet, thank you, Lord. Uh, Diego is three, Camila is one, and they're great. They, they get at each other a lot, they nitpick each other a lot, they argue a lot, right? They're, they're just at that, that phase with each other, um, and, and they know how to push each other's buttons, but I can honestly say that they love each other so well. They love each other so deeply. If you've seen my kids around each other, you know this to be true. It is not uncommon for us for like one of our children to get hurt and the other ones to cry because the other one is in pain. The other day, uh, Camila, don't ask how it happened. I should have been watching. I wasn't watching. Camila fell off something at the playground, just like literally like, like this high, just walked right off and whoop, belly flopped onto the ground. Nothing was broken, praise God. But when we picked her, we didn't know about it because we we're on the other side of the playground. And Olivia comes carrying Camila over to us. And Camila's, you know, doing her sweet little baby cry with her huge crybaby tears. But, but Olivia's holding her. And she's like, you know, like hot breathing into her hair. Like everything's sweaty and tearful and wet. And Olivia's like, <laughs> <laughs> like crying into her hair is disgusting and uh i grabbed camila from her and i was like what hey it's she's gonna be okay she's gonna be all right and she's like <laughs> is she okay <laughs> and i was like yeah she's gonna be okay and you know i'm like squeezing every bone of her tiny body to make sure nothing like actually hurts and she's okay she made a full recovery she slept for like 14 hours. I don't know if that's normal, uh, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All the moms in here were like, oh my. But she's okay. But Olivia, it took a solid 10 minutes to calm her down because Olivia's like, oh my gosh, this is my fault. And if anything happens to her, what am I going to do? And oh my gosh, I should have been there. I should, and I, Carmen and I are, we should have really been there. Carmen and I are like, ah, she's fine. And Camila's like, what am I going to do about this? You know, like. Because she feels for her. And the whole time, you know, Diego's, Diego's a truck, so Diego's just watching, and he's, you know, he looks concerned. He's not crying, but he's, he's concerned, and he's watching. He's making sure things are okay. When Diego gets hurt, Olivia will cry for him and be like, is my brother okay? Camila doesn't even know what's going on, but she picks up on the vibe, so she'll walk around, and she'll just be like, ah, 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 ah. And we're like, what are you doing? You know, like, they feel for each other. They really do. Watch them around each other. They're, they're great together. Uh, when, when we're driving at, in the car, nobody else is around. Those three are in the back seat. If we manage to get a quiet moment, it is really normal for us. Actually, it'll be dead quiet in the car. And it'll be really normal for us for, to, to have that silence broken by one of their tiny voices just going, I love you, Olivia. I love you too, Diego. 
it's really normal for us to look in the rearview mirror and see Diego and Camila holding hands like this and just holding each other. It's really normal for us to see these big over un, unmerited or unwarranted, unforced expressions of love between them when we're at home, when we're in the car, all these different things. But I've noticed that that doesn't really matter to anybody. I tell you about it so now you know, but that doesn't matter to you. You don't know anything about my kids or me or my parenting by what they do at home or what they do in the car. You would notice this by seeing how they interact with each other in public, right? And so uh, this is also pretty common for us. We'll see them in, we'll have them in like a, a shopping cart at the store. And if Camila drops something, Diego will pick it up and he'll put it in her hand. And he's, he's, he's interesting. I think his love language is like, uh, um, what is it, physical touch? But it's physical touch to like, all right, man, back off, right? Like he'll take her hand and he literally will do this. He'll take Camila's hand. He'll put something in her hand like that. And then he'll take her hand that has the item that he gave her in it and he'll go like this. He'll take it and he'll go. And he'll just keep doing that. And we're like, get off of her. You're, that's weird, right? And like, you don't want to discourage it, but it's like, okay, what are you even doing? Like, right? And, and it, that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for our 10-year-old to pick up Camila and carry her around and be baby talking her and try to get something off the shelf for her or to change her bottle for her and turn her on the side and try to feed her the bottle or to hold her hand and walk with her across, uh, uh, you know, through a parking spot or something, not across the whole thing because, you know, we just ain't having it. But what I'm getting at is this, it happens and when it does happen without fail, we will have somebody come over to us and they'll go, oh my gosh, you have the greatest children You have the best children. Oh, my gosh. And we're like, I know. Keep it moving, right? Like, it's, it's, it's still weird at some point. It's like, all right. Why are you watching them? You know, like, but it happens a lot. And then we'll have this happen, too. I, I get this all the time, especially when I'm alone. I don't know why people think dads are incapable, but I get this a lot when I'm alone. If I'm walking with two of them or three of them, we'll be walking, we'll do something. They'll be, they'll be sweet. I won't do anything. And then they'll turn, people will turn and look at me and they'll go, good job, dad. <laughs> right? I'm like, then I welcome it. Then I'm like, yeah. I'm like, can I film you saying that and send it to Carmen? Because I need it where I can. But what I'm getting at is this. When people see my kids act a certain way in public, they relate that to something bigger. Wow, you're doing a great job at home with them, Dad. Mom and Dad, you have awesome children. Good job. Keep up the good work. When we look at these passages, what I want to submit to you today is this, is that we don't often think about our faith in the sense of being siblings and having a parent. We don't often think of our faith in a communal regard where we are tied to each other and how we interact with each other says something about the house that we were raised in and the parent that did the raising for us. But if we're being honest, that's exactly what we see in Scripture. That's exactly how God calls us to live. People need to see faith on display in front of them, but nobody's going to show that to them except you and I, siblings, and the household of faith with God, a good father. We'll leave it up to Kanye West. 
Kanye dropped a gospel album, so now people are going to get saved for sure. We'll leave it up to Justin Bieber. I went to his tour date in Detroit. I'm not hating him. I love Justin Bieber. And he actually said something about Jesus at his concert. So he's definitely a Christian, like a real Christian. He's got to be. But he said something on, on stage and, you know, he doesn't. And we'll, and we'll leave it up to these guys. Well, they got a big platform. And as long as they're sharing their faith and they're doing these little things, whatever, that's, that's fine. And we think that people are going to understand this deep message, this polarizing message, this life-changing and life-altering message just from people that are even on the fringes, if we're honest. They have higher notoriety, but a lot of times they'll have higher notoriety, but more shallow discipleship. So they're not really fit to be in a position to show people an accurate picture of faith, but we are more than happy to leave it up to somebody else instead of owning what God gave to us and living it out the right way. So what I want to do to you is this, or do, for, do with you is this, wow, okay, uh, is I want to read to you the same passage, same two passages we read last week. And I want to show you a different emphasis on the passage than last week. And I want to make the case to you today of this, that if your motivation really is fulfilling, doing all that Jesus commanded, aka living out the apostles' teaching, what's been handed down to us, what we talked about last week, if that is your motivation, it will cause you to now live in a way that doesn't just apply to your worship, it will expand to every aspect of your daily life. So let's go ahead and read the scriptures together, and then we'll get to it. Lord Jesus, uh, bless us today. God, speak to us today from your word. And Jesus, I pray that you would have your way in your church that you would call us to something higher, that you would not allow us to settle for a regular faith, a mundane faith, that Jesus, even if it costs us something, we would value you, prioritize you above all things so that way we would have no problem submitting to whatever the cost is to follow you deeper and closer and truer. Jesus, we are your disciples, Jesus. Help us live like it. In your name, amen. Amen. So it'll be on the screen for you once again. We're in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is called the Great Commission. I won't spend a ton of time unpacking it for you because, again, we started with this last week, but I will read it for you uh, as a place marker. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Special emphasis on this, Jesus didn't just say, go tell people about me. He said, go share this faith with people, and when they believe, teach them to walk this out. There is a call for us to not just, you guys remember Bible tracks? I don't mean tracks like, go to track four on this, I mean Bible tracts, like T-R-A-C-T-S, Bible tract. Anybody remember this? Okay. I, I tell this story sometimes, but they're the, little, they're the little 
like four-page booklet, brochure, pamphlet thing that you'll see sometimes like in a public place, somebody will leave it there and it'll start off with something really eye-grabby. It'll say, how do you know you're not going to hell? And then you pick it up and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to hell. And you pick it up and you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. And then you get to the last page and then you're like, oh no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's a weird thing. It's, it's like a small brochure about how not to go to hell. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's what most of them are about because here's what the tracks are trying to do. They're trying to give you the gospel, convince you of your sin, and let you know there's forgiveness for your sins and to lead you to salvation all in four small pages. That's what they're trying to do. Now, it sounds ridiculous now, but these things were huge. I had a friend that showed up on the news one year on Halloween because he was giving out king-size candy bars with Bible tracts stuck to them, and he was giving them out to children. And the Bible tract that he chose was a very explicit Bible tract that talked about eternity in hell, and the cover was Satan holding people over fire. And he was like, <laughs> he was handing out the good candy to like six-year-olds with images of the devil holding people over hell. And he was like, yeah, this is, this is my best, this is my favorite evangelism tool the whole year. People knock on my door and I get to tell them how to not go to hell. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how many people are telling you to go there? You know what I'm saying? Like when they get, to, these are crazy. Like who's doing this, right? But, but the intent is good, but the, the, you, we miss the whole point. The point is not to freeze tag people with the gospel and run on to somebody else so that way we've told a hundred people in a day all of which most of which probably won't come to Jesus that way the goal of sharing the gospel is to tell somebody about the true good news about the life and death and resurrection and eternity and promises and abundant life now that we get from Jesus Christ and then to raise them up in that to embody that and to live that out so Jesus literally tells us it right here. He says, go, tell them, baptize them, and then do that. Live life with them in a way that raises them up and disciples them into a real faith. In other words, don't be so focused on quantity that you forget about the quality of how you're sharing me. Right? So this is... The call of Jesus. So going from there, we last week unpacked when Jesus says the words, all that I have commanded you. Teach them all that I've commanded. What does that mean? Well, we saw that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we see what that actually means and we see applied in the church context and in a community context. So I'm going to read to you now Acts 2, 42 through 47. Again, this passage was used last week, so you probably, hopefully should already have this underlined. But Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, all the believers devoted themselves. Just real, real brief recap for you. The word all is intentional there. All does not mean some. All does not mean the call to ministry. All does not mean those more mature Christians that have been around for a long time. All does not mean those that have the right money, the right job, enough free time. All literally means all people who believe in Jesus Christ, every one of them. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, that applies to you. You are included in this all. So all the believers devoted themselves. Where's your devotion? What are you devoted to? 
What do you value more than this? What are you motivated by more than this? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And here's my emphasis for you today. Verse 44, it starts. It says, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Verse 45 says this, and they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Verse 46 says this, and they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Amen. Now, I read that in italics for a reason. Because just like the word all is not an accident, when it says together, not an accident. When it says they shared everything, not an accident. It's uncomfortable, but it's not accidental. When it says that they worshiped together, not accidental. When it says each day, not accidental. When it says met in homes, not accidental. When it says they shared meals, not an accident. And when it says, and also the Lord's Supper, also, you guessed it, not an accident. And then the byproduct of that is this, ready? And what is the nature that marked all of, <clears throat> all of these things? I'm sorry. What's the nature of it? What I mean is this, it could have said they did all this begrudgingly. It could have said that they did all this because they felt like they had to. They did all this because that's how they were raised and their mom would be so mad if they weren't in church every week. It could have said a lot of things, but you know what it does actually say? It says that when they committed to, to living their faith out with intentionality and regularity, it says that there are times of gathering and, 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 and getting together, and whether it's worship or it's eating or it's communion or it's literally giving your possessions away. It was marked with great joy and further generosity. Is your life marked by a commitment to living out this Christian life. And when you do so, is it marked by joy and generosity? Because here's the idea, is that when, when you live how he laid out for you to live, you're, you, you get a different kind of fulfillment. You get a different kind of joy that overtakes you. This is what Scripture calls joy unspeakable. This is what Scripture calls uh, joy or peace that no mind can fathom. It's, scripture also calls it inexplainable because we don't know where it comes from. You mean giving away things that I like, things that I worked hard for? You think giving away those things is going to make me more joyful? 
Owning those things makes me joyful. Try, try giving them away. Nothing makes me feel better. Like, I like, I like to get things. Like everybody does. But the other thing that makes me feel better than getting something is giving away something. And I'm not saying that I put myself up on a, I had a practice that I would do for a long time. I did it even if I didn't want to. And if I was with anybody ever, I did it, I did it for years. If I was with anybody ever and they complimented something I, I had on or something I had with me, I'd, I'd immediately give it to them. Do you remember this? I've, I've, I've had shoes on before. And people have been like, oh, dang, bro, I like those shoes. I'd be like, what size are you? I like 11 and a half. Cool, I'm a 12. Here you go. Boom. Wait, what are you talking about? What are you doing? No, just take it. I don't need them. Right? Like, and, and then I'd walk away and I'd be like, that probably left a mark. It wasn't easy, but you know what I was doing? I was killing my flesh. I had, I had one guy, I just bought a, a Carhartt windbreaker. And if you know anything about Carhartt, it's not cheap. I got a Carhartt windbreaker a couple of years ago. Top was baby blue, bottom was dark blue. Loved it. I was like, got a whole outfit that it went with. I loved it. Carhartt, I love it, right? And uh, somebody, one of Carmen's coworkers came over to our house and the husband and I were talking and he goes, wow, where'd you get that windbreaker? I don't know. I, know. I, I was like, oh yeah, just in the Carhartt place. He's like, oh yeah, for real. I was like, yeah. He was like, man, yeah, I got to get one of those. I was like, you got one of these. And I handed it to him. And I turned around. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hyping myself up. It, it, it's not. Honestly, I'm really not. Because I was hurt. I was like, why did I do that, right? But, but any, what I'm getting at is this. I don't want to have ties to anything. Because if God put it in my hand, he put it there so I could give it to somebody else. And so it's mine for a little while, or it might be mine again. Sometimes you just lend things out, and maybe you're more free with, with, with resources that you lend out, and they come back to you. And maybe you give things away and don't expect it back. It can look different, but what I'm getting at is this, is that generosity flows from a Christian heart. Generosity flows from a heart that's bent towards God, because God is a generous God. Amen? There weren't enough amens for that. God is a generous God. And this isn't a prosperity, get rich quick kind of, kind of nod here. God is generous. God is good. God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is loving. God is kind. God is patient. God is generous, even when we don't deserve it. So I try to train myself to be generous too, so that way I, I, I'm not attached to anything. The Christian heart and the Christian life is marked by joy and generosity. It should follow you wherever you go. That doesn't mean that you you get taken advantage of. That doesn't mean that you have healthy boundaries. What it does mean is this, is that people should know that there's a Christian in proximity to them. And they should, when they're thinking of who can I go to, who, who can I talk to, who can help me, the first name that should pop up is the Christian's name that they know. We should be marked by our joy and generosity towards people. 
We should be making a statement for the Lord, not, not by throwing out Bible tracts and scaring people, but by living in such a way that it would magnify God to the people around us. And that's what the early church did. So again, when it says, all the believers met together in one place, notice that's unity. Togetherness, meeting in one place, one place, that's unity. Unity is not easy in case you don't know this. That's why we have 5 million churches in a 20-mile radius. Unity is not easy. But unity was a priority. And I can't speak for other churches or other places or other communities, but I know this, that if there's something that we can call each other to inside this church, it's unity within this church. And so they were bent towards unity They met together. They prioritized each other. They prioritized worship. It says they worshiped together at the temple, but then also in homes. So so picture this. It wasn't that your whole week uh, you had to make sure that you left enough time on a Sunday morning to meet for church. What it was was that Sunday morning kind of worked twofold. It was the beginning of your next week to get you pumped up and, and, like Carmen said, get you buff in your faith to be able to approach the next week, but it was also the end of your previous week where you come and you culminate and gather together with people after a long week and before another long week. It was the center point of time in your week. So you could come and get refilled, you could come and get rebuilt up, you could come and get buff, and you could help contribute that to somebody else. And that in in community and fellowship with each other, there was this cycle of fellowship going on. And then from that, again, if scripture lays things out in sequential order, it's like that for a reason. It's almost like listing things. So it names that they were in a a temple together, in homes, all that stuff. That's where the joy, that's where the generosity, all of those things came from. And so what I want to talk to you today about is this. It's very simple. Is what does your daily life look like? What does your week, week in and week out, look like? The early church, what we see handed down from the beginning to the end is that church that church only recently, in recent history, became a one-time event a week that we showed up to and then we went home and got back to our regular lives. That, that's what it's become. But church was never meant to be relegated to a couple hours one day a week on Sunday morning or Saturday night, depending on who goes to church where. The church needed a place to meet, so the building where they met became called the church, but the church is the people that gather. So the church does not have a start or stop time. The church is not marked by a a geographical location. The church is not marked by an address. What the church is marked by is people who act a certain way. Let me say that again. Church is not marked by an address on a building. Church is marked by certain people who act and live a certain way. So if you think going to church more than being the church, we got to reorient your mindset. You, You weren't called to go to church. You were called to gather together in worship, which is why we meet for church. But we've done a really great job at Closing all that in one tight little nutshell and just saying, well, now I go to church and I'm a member here. I'm done. And we've totally forgot that 
We're called to gather together because we are the church, but we're called to do a number of other things also because we are the church. Amen? So I want to read this to you. I wrote this uh, in, my, in my study time, but I also pulled a quote uh, from the commentary I was using. And uh, it says it like this. It's important for us to see that believers were adhering to the apostles' teaching, which we discussed last week. And through them doing that, all they did was say, I'm going to commit to this. To this. It's like a meal plan. A trainer gives somebody a meal plan and says, I don't need you to work out. I don't need you to do nothing. I just need you to eat these meals every single day for a month and watch the results. It's like Jesus handed us a meal plan for our faith. And this church took it serious. And they said, we're going to live out the apostles' teaching. And and after they committed to that, the results that they got, the six-pack that they got, the, 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 I'm not going to say anything else. I was going to say the glutes, but chill, right? The results that they got were this. It was an outflow of fellowship and connection in daily life. It led to open-handedness. It led to committed fellowship. And it led to a high, high, high priority of living together daily. So when your trainer says, here, take this, and in two months, if you follow this, I'm going to do a little math. You, you probably drop 30 pounds. You'll probably gain this much muscle mass. Just stick to the program. When Jesus handed us this and said, listen, if you do nothing else but live by what I've taught and keep these traditions going, value this with each other, meet together, eat together, worship together, what's going to happen is this, joy, generosity, daily commitment to each other in fellowship. That's the results. The, the commentary I read says it like this. The Christians that you met in the early church, the book of Acts, were not content. Listen, and let this read you if it needs to. They were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. Instead, they met daily. They cared daily. And because of it, they won souls daily. They searched the scriptures daily and They increased in their numbers daily. In other words, the early church's Christian faith was a day-to-day reality, not a -a once-a-week routine. I've seen this come alive for people at Santos. I could name easily, I won't, but I can name easily right now five, six, seven people who I feel like are just from being with them and talking with them, sharing meals with them, praying with them, and worshiping here with them. It's like they're experiencing Jesus for the first time. There's this excitement about what the Lord is doing in them. But you know what I also see in them? That they've committed. There's been a reprioritizing in their life. There's there's been people that are experiencing that joy in, in degrees that they haven't before. But what preceded that was a commitment to live in this way that Jesus called us to live. 
They're, they're, they're trying to show up for things. They're, they're trying to reach out with other people and connect. They're not waiting for me to, to call them and say, hey, why don't you and so-and-so go get lunch together? They're, they're just connecting with people. And there's, and there's three, four, five, six, seven people that are really just grabbing each other and going, yo, I'm going to the movies. You want to come with me? And, hey, I'm, I'm going over here to go grocery shopping, but you want to walk around the store with me? Or, or hey, I'm just... I'm, I'm sitting outside right now, like I'm going to go to the park with the kids or whatever, but you just want to come with me, right, and just sit and talk. And if you got to go, you got to go. You could only be there for 10 minutes. Cool. But, but there's enough happening to where when somebody makes that phone call, somebody on the other end is like, yeah, I'll be there. And, and when you see people in community together prioritizing that and making it a point to show up, it is not a coincidence then when we also hear back from the same people. I feel like Jesus. It's talking to me so clearly. I feel like God is moving in my life in a way I've never seen before. I just have this joy when I worship. I'll talk to some people and they'll be like, yo, every time I start to sing a worship song, I just cry because I feel so happy. Like, yo, like that's, that's beautiful. That, that follows you when you stick to the meal plan that the trainer has given you. What I want to point out to you is this, is that the early church, the format that they laid out for you and I, they were motivated. Again, don't lose the motivation. They were motivated to live out the apostles' teaching. And when they really did, they were, they were three things. They were unified, magnified, and multiplied. Because the church was unified, remember, they met in one place or they met in each other's homes or they uh, uh, worshiped together and they shared with each other. That's unity. Because they were unified in worship and generosity in day-to-day life, Jesus was magnified to the world around them. That's all how they lived. Follow, Follow me. They were unified. They were intentional about their unity in all things, in daily life not just in Sunday morning service. Because they were unified, Jesus was magnified to the world around them. And when Jesus becomes magnified to the world around them, the church is put on display and the Holy Spirit is able to use our witness to multiply faith. Unified, magnified, multiplied. I need you. With a pastor's heart, listen, I need you to prioritize togetherness. I need you to prioritize unity together. I need you to prioritize fellowship and community with each other. I need you to. Not not just for me, but my goal as a pastor is to want and to fight for and to defend the spiritual growth and the opportunities for your growth and your walk with Jesus in every way that I can. And the best way that I can is this. Be unified. Commit to each other. Care daily. Worship daily. Search the scriptures daily. And do it all together. When we do that, Jesus is magnified. You don't even understand what it does to people around us. When people see us actually live the way that we claim that we should be living, 
Pe- people, this is not like, it's not like back in the day. This, was, this is illegal in some countries. Back in the day, this was off limits to people to read in their own, on their own time. It's not like that anymore. Anybody can open this and see what we're supposed to do. And a lot of the church's failing comes from this. The fact that the world can read this and they know it, but we act like we don't. So people know what to expect from us. We don't expect it from ourselves. People have standards that they want to see God's people live up to, and we don't got standards for ourselves. People want to see us acting like we can get along before they want to be a part of something dysfunctional. And we don't, we don't do that for ourselves. But when we do that, Jesus is magnified. And all we got to do is give our God a shot in the ring. And he promises to be victorious every time. When he's multiplied or when he's magnified, there's only one possible outcome. His truth is multiplied. And it will change everything. The band can come up now. Here's my final encouragement for you today. I I told you it's pretty, what I have for you today is pretty straightforward. But the most basic way I could have thought of to make this make sense to you is by starting off talking about my children. Everybody in this room has been a child. Everybody in this room has parent, a mentor, somebody that was instrumental or is instrumental in your growth. I can remember being a kid and just being dumb, being 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, and just acting out of pocket, just just doing things that I knew better than. And one of the things my dad would consistently say, we didn't speak Spanish at home, but My dad got Puerto Rican real quick when he was angry. And one of the things he would always say when I come home in trouble or I ran my mouth to a teacher or I got into a fight or something, my dad would always bring it back to himself and it used to make me angry. What is it about you, man? I only did this because I want your attention. I didn't say that, but probably somewhere deep down it was wanting attention. But my dad would always look to me and say, what are you doing? Why are you acting like that? I taught you better than that. If him and my mom ever tag teamed me, it was even worse. Did did we teach you to do that? What? There's a very few, uh, there was very few uh, occasions where my parents had to come in for like a parent-teacher meeting. And then it was everybody against me. My teachers would be like, well, Mr. and Mrs. Colonna, did you know that Richard was blah, blah, blah? And they look at me and they go, we didn't tell you that. We didn't teach you that. What you get? And then they're standing like this with the teacher. What you got to say for yourself? Because that ain't us. And they're looking at each other going, yeah, I don't, you didn't. Yeah. They're like, you know, I just try to get through to Richard and I just try to give him every opportunity. And then my parents are like, I know us too. We tell them like this. And what we expect from home is da, 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 da. And so now they're looking at me like I'm the idiot. And they'd always turn it around and they go, we didn't teach you that. Why are you acting like that? 
Remember where you come from. Remember what I told you. Remember what I taught you. You know how to act. You know how to get right. You know what to do. Do it. Act like I've taught you something. Act like whatever. And the, and the best way that I can relate this is this. When I did and when it finally started coming around, when, when I graduated, when I started trying to do things with myself, when I, uh, you know, when I got into ministry, when I did these different things, and people who knew me in this positive light, in this positive way, or seen growth in me, then they would come back around and they'd go to my parents, and if there's their first time meeting my parents, they'd shake their hand and they go, man, you raised a great guy right here. What a great guy this is. What a good man of God this is. You did a fine job with him. You did blah, blah, blah. And they always credited my parents with what they experienced of me. And what I want to tell you this morning is this, is that the way that you and I live and interact as siblings credits something back to God. If we're going to be out walking around doing things in his name, if we're going to be living and proud of our faith and dwelling in community and trying to prioritize him, you have to know this. There's no two ways about it. There's no loophole for you. There's no cheat code. All eyes become on you once people know what you believe in because there's this expectation and now how you live will credit God with something. So what is your life saying about the God you believe in? How, how does your interaction with your siblings in the faith, how does it speak about God? People, people don't see what happens in this room. People don't see what happens at Bible study. People don't see what happens when we're at men's breakfast and Kyle's prophesying over people and laying them out. People don't see that. You want to know why? That happens inside the house. And we all walk around thinking, why, does it, why aren't more people into what I'm into? Why aren't more people interested in Jesus? Why aren't more people wanting this relationship with God? I don't get it. It's done everything for me. It's changed everything for me. Why don't more people want this? And you want to know why? We assume that people know what happens inside the house. And they don't. It's what happens in public that testifies about what happens in the house. And it's what happens in public that testifies about the parent over the household. If you're motivated to live out all that Jesus commanded, church stops becoming about attendance. Church stops becoming about a show that you participate in. Church stops becoming something that you just check off your list every week. I see people sit in these chairs every week. Nobody's doing it right now, so I'm not calling anybody out. But I see people do it, where they will literally be in the chair just snapping, Instagramming, texting each other. We'll hear volume come on for videos. Listen, I want you here, but I got to ask a real question. If you're doing all that, why are you here? You're not here for this. You could have done that on your couch, and you probably got AC at home. Church stops becoming a formality for you to prove something, whether to 
the people that you lied to about being about it or to yourself. Church stops becoming this game that you play. And when you really give your life to it, it becomes a daily way of life. You care about people and you care about your brothers and sisters who are in your fellowship. You're moved to pray for people. You're moved to be generous with what you have. You prioritize things differently. My family used to get mad at me, son. Why you at church so much? Why you at this so much? They pay you to be there? They ain't paying you to be there. Why are you there so much? You shouldn't be nowhere like that. They don't pay you to be there. It's my priority, man. It's my priority. I've seen the family of God come through for me when no one else did. And I mean no one else did. And I mean that in a literal sense. No one else did. And the people of God came through for me. This church is only here today still because the people of God, even outside of this church, come through for us. There's a lot of people that we should all know the names of and be grateful to because of their joy and generosity about what God is doing here has made it so that we can be here because they're committed to this. I've seen the family of God do things that I haven't seen anywhere else. So it's become my priority because I believe in it. I give my life to it without getting paid. We said this before, but we're open with it because I want you to know this. I, this doesn't require a paycheck for me to care. All it required for me was God to tell me, this is your priority, this is your calling. Give your life to this. And when I really believed that God called me to do something, then I don't care what the cost is because then it only becomes two decisions. Listen to God or be disobedient. And I ain't going to be disobedient. I'm going to listen to him and trust that he's going to get me through. So for us, maybe the stakes aren't that high for you. But for us, maybe you, you reach that point where it's like, yo, am I really going to live this out? And I'm just going to call, I'm gonna call, it, call it what it is. Either I'm going to live this out how he said to, or I'm going to be disobedient. And if you don't see it that way, let me just be real with you again. Either you really believe or maybe you don't. Because when you do, your commitments change. Your motivation changes. Your life changes. And it stops being a once a week routine and it becomes a day-to-day -day reality. God's motivation in your life should change everything about you. Once his motivation governs our life, it will change everything about the world that we're in. What's your motivation? What are you devoted to? What are you committed to? Thank you.
Hey, thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by what you heard today and that it moves you towards action and greater faith in Jesus. If you'd like to connect with us more, you can find us online at santoschurch.org. And that's also a great place to give if you'd like to contribute to the ministry and our mission here in Southwest Detroit. If you're on Instagram, you can connect with us at Santos Detroit or Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. If you find yourself in the Detroit area, we'd love to have you in person Sunday mornings at 11, 1953 Military Street. Either way, hablamos pronto. We'll talk to you soon.